welcome to the Wheel of Sports, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally, and with me is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery. Hello, Ian. Hello, listener. <laughs> yes. Yes, Matt. We'll get the wheel spinning. Off and he goes. Uh, Matt, we've had a bit of uh, correspondence in the mailbag at the Wheel of Sports. Oh, fantastic. It's from Stu. Hello, Stu. I think it's criticism, Matt. Reasonable. Uh, no, but it's it's as we would expect from our uh, listeners. They're very um, detailed people. And Stuart pointed out that at the start of the episode uh, we did on Babe Diedrichsen Zaharius, I mocked my friend Craig, a friend of the show who's on a previous episode. Um, I mocked him for making an outdated reference to Nigel Mansell when driving to the hospital to see the birth of his first child. Yeah. (laughs) And Stuart pointed out that in that same episode, I later went on to reference the British decathlete Daily Thompson. (laughs) 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 Who who is arguably an older reference. Yeah. Yeah, that's Nigel great. Mansell. That is brilliant. Um, Stu points out that uh, the peak of Mansell's career was 92-93. Thompson's peak of his career was a decade earlier. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Stu. So, uh, Stuart did point out that I owe Craig an apology. Um, I'm sorry, Craig. And I'm sorry, Stu, as well, for, uh, for forcing you to write in to correct the wrong that was done um so hopefully that is all cleared up now uh, apologies craig apologies nigel mansell apologies daily thompson and sport generally <laughs> the wheel has stopped spinning and the topic for this episode is back to basics ian we haven't had one of those in ages oh back to basics matt i look um, i'll take this one uh, Matt, this is a very unusual thing, okay? This is going to take a bit of work from you, this one, okay? Okay. No just sitting in the passenger seat with this one because this is such an intriguing phenomena. It's the sport of basketball. Okay. Now, if I told you, Matt, that there was something in basketball that you could do which would improve if you were a professional player, that could improve your performance and you could do it it's legal it's fine you can do it you can do it in fact you can do it every game and you can do it every time you play your opponent will never complain about it okay your teammates may or may not complain about it the fans sometimes will complain about it but it'll improve your performance and it's completely free The other thing is about this, Matt, everybody who plays professional basketball knows about this thing. Okay, but they're not doing it. All but a tiny handful of basketball players choose to do this. What is it? I'm interested. (laughs) The intrigue. Let me tell you a little bit more around it, Matt, because when I said it improves your performance this one thing it might improve uh it might not improve the best players the very top players 
are doing this one thing. It might not improve them immeasurably. But those middle-ranking players, like, for example, Wilt Chamberlain, who played in a 1961-62 season, he made this one change. And he went from scoring an average of 38.4 points in 1960-61 season to an average of 50.4 points per game the following season. Wow. He stopped doing this one thing. The following season, his point score fell to 44.8. What? Isn't this crazy? And he never returned and he never did it again in his career, despite taking his point average from 38 points a game to 50 points. He never returned to do it. What is it? <laughs> drugs, Matt. <laughs> it's, it's drugs. <laughs> For example, George Johnson, he played and he went from f- um, making 41.2% of his shots. He adopted this one change and it, his average went from 41.2% to 69.4%. Onuaka, who's playing now in the NBA, he adopted this change and he went from 46% average to 58%. And then the following season went to 72%. This one change. Are you going to tell us what it is? It's legal. It's fine. Anyone can do it? it. Anyone can do it, Matt. In fact, one player in NBA history... In fact, ABA and NBA history, ABA being a forerunner for the NBA, one player who did this throughout his career, he did this one thing through his whole career. He is a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest 50 players of all time, voted for by the NBA in 1996. He was the top number one free thrower in the ABA, making 88% of his shots. When he retired in 1980, his 90% success rate was the best of any NBA player. And his average of 36.3 points per game are the most in NBA history. This player did one thing that not hardly anyone else chooses to do, Matt. Can you think of a comparison? Like, imagine if Lionel Messi and soccer did one thing that almost every other player could adopt and they just said, Nah, I'm not choosing to do it. I'm, I just can't imagine what on earth this could be. I remember when I was a kid, there, there, there was a joke in like, I don't know, shoot or match or, you know, some one of those like soccer magazines that you'd get as a kid. And it was a cartoon and it, it was a tip. It's like a top tip of how to avoid being closely man-marked. And you would, you would take two fish, two rotten fish, and put them in your shorts... <laughs> So you stunk. <laughs> that was like the joke. So, so that's what I'm trying to think. I'm like, what on earth could it be? Like nobody wants to put rotten fish down their, down their pants to avoid being closely man marked. But that is that is my brain is going everywhere trying to work out what on earth you could be, possibly be talking about. I love that you got to rotten fish as well. Being fair, the NBA players they do have very big shorts, so you could you could get you loads could of get fish quite, in there. Yeah, get quite a catch. Yeah, um, 
for example, Matt, Shaquille O'Neal, one of the most famous NBA players of all time, he refused to do it. He was actually quoted saying, I can't do it. I'm too cool. What is it? I can't even imagine. Why wouldn't people want to do it if it leads to more success? It's quite an extraordinary phenomenon, this, because it doesn't exist in any other sport. And it speaks a lot to the male ego, Matt. This is just a strange thing that when a player has become a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest 50 players of all time, one of the greatest three free throwers and highest scorers in NBA history, and people just don't follow his lead. This is, to me, and when players have gone from you know, a 46% average to 72% in two years from this one change. Why isn't everybody having a crack at it, even giving it a go? I'm going to reveal what it is, Matt. I can see it's so exciting seeing your brain tick over. I'm just trying to think of what it could possibly relate to. Like, there is nothing I can think of that isn't just fantastic ridiculous do you know what I mean like nothing I could think of would answer this I'll give you a clue so you know when the basketball player they stand six meters from the hoop and they just have a chance to have a free goes at the at the basket nobody tackling them okay no I still don't know what this one thing that can improve your scoring rate out of sight and Rick Barry was that player the hall of famer one of the greatest 50 players of all time the best success rate of free-throwing in the ABA, 88%. He dropped in the basket. He threw the ball underarm. That's so good. That's so good. And it's... So in, but and it's not outlawed, obviously. Like in cricket, they outlawed it, didn't they? You did. We did an episode. Well, I, I yeah. was before I joined the Wheel yeah. of Sport. Um, you did an episode on the old underarm bowling. With the was it the Chapels? Yeah, right? yeah, the Chapel Brothers. Um, yeah, against New Zealand, the last ball went underarm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so it's not illegal to throw underarm. Perfectly fine. In basketball, perfectly legal uh, to do. Now we're still, we're still in a puzzled state here because why aren't players doing it if it's successful i'll talk a little bit about the science behind it and also a little bit about why players don't do it and also why some players do choose to do it uh so first of all first of all as i said those players just had a massive increase in their success rate in terms of the percentage of the shots that they converted due to changing the technique. The science behind it, there's actually been quite a lot of research involved. So you're almost going, like, bending your knees, are you, and putting it between your knees almost with both hands and throwing it sort of from your belly up. That's right. You kind of, well, holding it kind of, yeah, close to your kind of knees and then Mm -hmm. kind of swinging both arms together. So you're swinging it in an upward motion and then releasing the ball. Uh, So you might not even need the backboard in this method if you're throwing it underarm 
That is so fun. Most players will, like, you know, even with the conventional one where you, you support it with one hand, but you've got a dominant hand pushing the ball yeah. um, high, obviously you, you tend to rely on a backboard or, uh, you know, some players obviously can drop it in quite consistently. The science behind it, there's actually been quite a lot of research involved. Professor Larry Silverberg, uh, who is in an aerospace department in the U.S., um, basically, there's in the conventional motion, there's lots of part of your body involved. So your ankle, your knee, your hips, uh, your elbow, your shoulder, your wrist, all the alignment of all of those things have to go together. Where with the underarm throw, there's a lot less involved. So theoretically, there's less that can go wrong. You can be more consistent yeah. with your throw. The other thing is, is the trajectory of the ball. So with an underarm throw, if you imagine the ball, uh, say, for example, a basketball had eyes. <laughs> and if you throw the ball underarm, the basketball can see more of the basket. So if you imagine as it's up in the air, looking down on the basket, you can see more of the basket. And also if it hits the basket from the trajectory from an underarm throw, and it hits the rim, it's more likely to bounce straight up and have another chance of dropping into the basket. Whereas because of the conventional overarm throw, uh, it sees less of the basket because of its trajectory. And if it bounces or hits the rim, it's likely to bounce off at a different angle and not drop in back into the basket. Yep, that makes sense. It does make sense, doesn't it? It and makes it, perfect sense. I'm glad sense. we've got a pro- an, aer- an aerospace professor to uh, explain it as well. But it still doesn't explain why players don't do it. They've got a great role model in Rick Barry, who, you know, as we stated, his uh, stats are incredible. Um, but what's remarkable is, Ian, sorry, but it's, there's so much money in this, right? Like, these basketball players in the, in the leagues, in, the financial incentive to win is huge, right? So, you know, and... People's jobs and livelihoods depend on it. Not just the players, obviously, but the coaching staff, the managers, the team, you know, the sponsorships. So when you've got all of this money flying around, being cool doesn't come into it. Winning at, at, at all costs is is surely the thing, right? The level of professionalism in the NBA. I mean, these aren't, these aren't not rank amateurs, are they? These are, this is elite level sport. I just can't believe that... You know they haven't done. What what's the what's the moneyball guy called? You know, just moneyballed it and just said, "Well, this is unacceptable. You have to win." It's crazy. It's interesting that the real top, the players who have a really high percentage conversion rate who throw in the conventional overarm manner, if they if they go back, go to underarm. There's, there's generally not that much of a, an improvement, if any. They can actually go backwards because they're just so good at and well-practiced at the overarm throw, uh, which is fair enough. You're not targeting those players with this improvement. What you're targeting is the players kind of in the mid-range. The players who are really bad at it probably are going to be bad at underarm and overarm. The players who are in the mid-range, who are... Like, for example, Shaq O'Neal. Shaq was... That was the weakest part of his game. He was notorious for missing th- free throws. His rest of his game, amazing. 
But this was a real Achilles heel for him. But he says, I'm too cool to do this. Um, Wilt Chamberlain, who I mentioned before, who had gone from, in 1960-61 season, from 38 points a game uh, to 50 the following season because he'd adopted this underarm throw. He said he was taking a throw, a free shot, and one of the spectators shouted that he looked like a sissy. And that was enough for him to be so self-conscious. He said, I felt silly. I felt like a sissy. I knew I was wrong, but I just couldn't do it. Now, Rick Barry, he also had the abuse. And people said, because it, it, it's known as the granny throw. And he also got abuse. You know, you're thrown like a granny. You're thrown like you look like a sissy. And he's like, yeah, but I'm still making the shot. Yeah, exactly. So he's just like, yeah, yeah, but, yeah I might look like a sissy, but so what? It's, it's, it's incredible. That says a lot about, like, the male psyche, doesn't it? Um, it's just unbelievable that they just... I, I just can't, I just can't believe that that hasn't changed. Like this, I feel I feel like you know this is this this podcast could change basketball. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Matt. There's been a lot written about this, and um, it as you say, it just it just doesn't make sense. Like you know, the way I presented it uh, in this episode, purposefully saying like. If you were playing basketball and you were listening to this episode, you'd be like, tell me and if fast forward, <laughs> you know, fast yeah. forward this episode. I need to know this one thing that everyone knows about, which I don't. Um, it, what's really strange as well, Matt, is that even recent players and current players in the NBA, um, for example, there's a player called Andre Drummond. Now, Drummond, up to the point where I'll tell you what, what happened with him, but up to the point he had taken 1,793 free shots and he had missed 1,110 of them. Okay, so not great. That is terrible, terrible stats. Ethan Sherwood from ESPN wrote an open letter to Andre Drummond suggesting that he adopts the underarm throw to improve his average. (laughs) (laughs) Andre Drummond, and this was quite a good letter from Ethan Sherwood, just going, look, you might want to think of this. This could change your stats and make you from one of the worst free shot players in the NBA to one of the, uh, you know, an average one, not one of the best, but an average one. Andre Drummond has a tweet, which is still on his account, which says, let's make this clear. I'm not shooting underhand. (laughs) Why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah, why? Why not? You've missed. You've missed over a thousand shots out of one thousand seven hundred. You've only made just over six hundred shots. You idiot! <laughs> Try it. I just can't even understand the stigma. Your job is to put the ball in the net. How it gets there surely is irrelevant. I'm trying to think of an equivalent in another sport, and I can't. Like, I know there's certain things in soccer which are, are maligned, like uh, a toe poke. Which, But the thing is, if somebody toe pokes the ball, it, it goes in goal. Fine. <laughs> it's like nobody 
uh, maligns it that much that they'll stop players doing it as long as they're getting the result. Yeah, it's like the reason the toe poke is maligned is because you have no real control because you're kicking it with the smallest part of your foot and it's it's very very difficult to control it. It's it'd be like it's seen as less skill, like skillless. It's it's not that it's skillless. It's that it's 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 really impossible to control it, almost impossible because to to kick it in the dead center, you know, to get to connect with the ball in the dead center, it's like you're hitting it with a snooker cue or something. You know, you could it could b- bounce in any direction. Whereas obviously using the inside of your foot or the top of your foot or even the outside of your foot, it's more surface area, so it's easier to control and get bend and a toe poke. You know, it's 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 yeah, it's it's very very difficult to control that. And the only other things that are maligned are against the rules, like diving or you know stuff like that. Um, you know, lack of sportsmanship or those type of things. But they're kind of either close to the rules um, or actually break the rules. Whereas this is an option open to every player. Every player could do this, and. I, I, I just cannot fathom why players don't eat, don't give it a go. Would it be like, like when footballers had the option to pass it back to their goalkeeper? So, you know, they they changed the back pass rule, didn't they? In in nineteen ninety two, prior to that, a defender could kick the ball to his goalkeeper, who could kick it, who could pick it up, roll it back to the defender. The defender could wait for an opposition, an opponent to close him down. And then he would pass it back to the goalkeeper who would just pick it up. And that was obviously... There was nothing illegal about it, but it was a way of wasting time and preventing the oppo- the opposition from getting the ball because it would just be the goalkeeper and the defender passing it to one another and the goalkeeper would just keep picking it up as soon as the opponent came close. And obviously that was terrible to watch and fans hated it. So they just banned it because <laughs> it was too... <laughs> it was stupid. Yeah, yeah. It, was it was against the, the spirit, spirit of the game, of the game yeah. as well. Whereas... But if this isn't against the... I just don't understand. If if you're listening to this right now and you can think of an equivalent in another sport, I mean, we're, we're just exploring soccer because that's the sport we know most about. But if, if you can think of an equivalent of, of a, a technique or a, a style or a, a skill that is perfectly legal in, in a sport, but it is kind of frowned upon or is uh, marginalised in some way, because... I can understand a, a skill or a technique that's marginalised because uh, it's not effective. Like the toe <laughs> you know, like, Yeah. I can understand, say, yeah, or say, for example, your central defender in soccer doing a Cruyff turn. Uh, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> boot it away. <laughs> you know, like I can understand. You're a league one player. Just boot it away. Um, but Matt, to well, to wrap this story up, there's something really nice about this. Uh, this the okay. end of this story because Rick Barry, who we started a story with, as we say, Hall of Famer, greatest free thrower in the ABA, um, and his ninety percent uh, conversion in the NBA when he retired in nineteen eighty, the best of any NBA player. He had lots of children, <laughs> so <laughs> Rick Barry. Um, he had Brent and John and Drew and Scooter. And Canyon, uh, Barry. Uh, so some of those went on to be professional players. 
One of them is currently a professional player, the youngest, Canyon. Uh, Canyon Barry. I feel that, that, you know, when you have names where the surname undermines the first name, <laughs> I feel like Canyon Barry does undermine it. I know what you anyway, mean. Um, <laughs> It also sounds like Barry Canyon, right? But, that would be a more normal name. <laughs> Barry Canyon, yeah. Barry Canyon sounds like a, 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 something that would be in the yeah. Irish countryside, <laughs> which would inevitably be something quite small, <laughs> ironically named. So Canyon Barry, he plays for the Florida Gators, and he has uh, the school record of a conversion rate of free throwing 88.3% of his free throws as a graduate and he also has a record 39 conversions consecutively from the free throw line 100% of the time uses his dad's underarm technique and he's nailing it at his his conversion rate's almost 90% and he f- throws underarm which i think is Fantastic! It's brilliant. I just don't. I just can't really believe that because there's some sort of like bravado about throwing it over arm, even though it's more difficult. So you're just choosing to make it more difficult and look, you be less successful to be a tough man or something. If, if <laughs> like if the listeners, if anybody can explain this in a way that isn't just ridiculous toxic masculinity. What what is this about? This is bizarre to me. It's absolutely incredible. Just lean into it, embrace it, and when you win, everyone else will copy. Surely, surely they will. Well, there's precedence. Rick Barry was bloody brilliant. Nobody followed him. That is ama- that is amazing. That is amazing. I feel like we're we're, we're at a turning point here. <laughs> this this podcast. <laughs> This is where it all changed. And people are going to look back and say, God, can you believe that up until 2021, people used to throw over arm? Like, that's mad. It, it is an extraordinary uh, phenomenon, really, because it, it just seems such a, a simple thing. So simple and basic. It does... Look, I don't know how many tough men we have listening to this podcast, but if, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a self-styled tough guy... Can you tell us why you don't throw underarm? Because I, I feel like it's, Matt it's and I amazing. would definitely throw underarm. Uh, we would take the criticisms from the uh, sideline, I feel. I would I would kind of revel in it if I was making, 90, I'd I was love making it. 90% yeah, of the shots. I would like, I'd have merchandise done. Some sort of like, I'd call myself the sissy or something. <laughs> Matt the sissy. <laughs> like, and... Because they always play a bit of music, don't they? I'd have like my own theme tune, like so, you know, some some sort of like jaunty, clumsy, almost like a slapstick tune yeah. where I throw underarm and then it goes in. I'd I'd lean into it. I just embrace it. Embrace winning. The, the, the granny throw. <laughs> Unless the only the only thing I can think is that obviously for a lot of the, but it's not, is it really? I was going to say they do a lot of movements with the ball on their shoulder and throwing it like that overarm. And I suppose they do, but it's more from the chest, isn't it, rather than over their shoulder. So it's not like you've learnt, it's not like through practice you've you become more familiar with that. 
it's not really the case, is it? Because it's a specialist set piece. You're right in, in a respect that players, um, to gain as much height in, in the actual free play, uh, you know, when, you, when you're, you're playing and the ball's live, that you do throw overarm because you're trying to get a height advantage over your opponent. So if you're throwing from the three-point line or something, you want to jump high and you want to get that ball at the top of your hand so that you can get a height advantage over your opponent. Um, but in the free throw, it, it, you exactly like a penalty um, in soccer, you, you approach it. You can approach it completely differently than you would in free play because. You've got nobody tackling you. You've got nobody uh, coming in. To, yeah, it's completely unique. Yeah, the only it? thing yeah. that you do have, perhaps, is pressure, which clearly you do have pressure because people think, well, I've got to look after my image. But surely, Andre, Andre Drummond, your image is not being improved by missing <laughs> over a thousand shots. That is hilarious. So... Give it a go, Andre. Wow. Give it a go. So Just give it a go. Matt, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, we've got a, a basketball hoop in our local park, and uh, I have never really played basketball, but I had a little go. And I, I do, there's something, it's quite therapeutic throwing underarm. Because I'd only ever watched it on telly where they throw overarm. So when I'd gone down just to casually throw a, you know, a couple of balls at the, the basket, I was way out. I was awful. But there's something really nice about the... It's a bit like a, a reassuring. It's like having Granny there with you. Just rubbing your back as you were. The Granny throw. Oh, man. That is absolutely fantastic. That is fantastic. The Granny throw. So, yeah, I, I loved it, Matt. And I loved, uh, you know, the fact that players could could hand it in after improving and go back to the conventional way just because they were called names. I mean, sticks and stones and all that. But uh, <laughs> quite quite incredible. But Canyon Barry uh, from Barry Canyon, uh, he is, he is uh, all power to him. And uh, mm. I hope he continues. And I hope that some youngsters in the US and internationally bring it to the playground and have a little experiment with different skills and... You know, hopefully uh, the underarm throw can result in uh, many more successful careers than it clearly has so far in NBA That's history. Amazing, amazing. Like um, the Fosby flop. Oh, Fosby flop, yeah. A bit like the Fosby flop. Um, yeah, nobody used to do that. Everyone said it was crazy. And now it's, it is the technique, universally. 100%. Even when you look at the way uh, athletes used to approach things like the hurdles and things, you know, the the technique is so different now than what it was because they went, oh, if you do it that way, it improves your performance. <laughs> that is amazing. It's absolutely incredible, Lissy, and thank you so much for, for sharing that remarkable story. And yeah, I wonder if this podcast will be aged you know, you'll be able to date it by the fact that in the future, performance will and results will matter more than being called a granny. <laughs> Goodness knows. Well, thank you so much, listener. Thank you, Ian. Uh, really enjoyed that. As Ian said, please do get in touch with uh, with us. Um, you know, if you've got any comments on this fascinating topic or any other suggestions for or ideas for shows that we can do, uh, we always love to hear from them. Uh, thanks to uh, as, 
as Ian said to Stu for getting in touch as well you can get in touch with us at The Wheel of Sport on Twitter or Instagram and thewheelofsport at gmail.com absolutely incredible I'm off down to, to practice my basketball granny shots <laughs> man I'm, I'm off to write an open letter to an athlete I think I love yeah. that I love that Ethan Sherwood from ESPN was just like I'm going to write an open letter to tell this guy how to do his job better was it a bit like taking the mickey he's a journalist was it was it sort of a bit horrible I no I, I actually think it was probably come from a good place because like it, it's well, why was of... it an open letter then if it was from a good place surely it would be a, a sort of word in his ear not a he could have just look at this idiot. Saying, just sliding it to his DMs and go, yeah. look, I know you're a professional sportsman, but uh, I've seen something you can really improve on. <laughs> look, if anybody, as Matt said, if anyone wants to slide into our DMs and uh, tell us how to do this podcast better. Yeah, please. We might be missing a clear opportunity to improve this podcast, but unlike... Oh. A, uh, Andre Drummond, we will adopt the change. So, welcome. Well, yeah, criticism, robust criticism is welcome. All right, well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, join us next time for another incredible story. Thanks so much, Matt. Uh, I'll see you at uh, Barry Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely incredible. I enjoyed that. Shall I stop recording now?